Hello, and welcome to Pablo's channel. Uh, the date today is the 1st of May, uh, and it's been a lovely day. And uh, today arrived two packages. Um, I got my Shiva Nataraja uh, picture, which I've put on the um, put up put in the spare room where I do my uh, yoga and sometimes gym exercises. Uh, and currently, you can hear in the background Zen music being played, and this is on my new soundbar with a subwoofer and uh, this is probably my most uh, quality uh, sound output um, equipment goes really loud goes up to 100 uh, volume and with the subwoofer get the good bass you're missing that bass noise actually it's nice to have that bass boom, boom, sound so yeah there you go got some new toy well picture and toy and I've got um, a 55 inch uh, smart uh, TV coming soon as well, hopefully on, the, on Friday. So yeah, I've got that all in conjunction with the soundbar. So yeah, new toys on the way. Anyhow, um, let's get back to the five ages of man. The time is 25 past 10. I'm up in the mezzanine once again. And what can I say? Yeah. Um, we are up to part two, chapter four the ordeal of first maturity and its specific mental breakdown. Manic depression. Excuse me. <clears throat> if the principle of recapitulation that we have posited is valid, then it should carry through all the age groups. If the newborn infant, the child and the adolescent recapitulate the um, <clears throat> recapitulate the social history of man, the top section of human evolution since man became psychosocial. Then, when the individual develops on past adolescence into his first maturity, we should find him recapitulating that stage when mankind first tried out the concept of personal self-sufficiency. When he alternated between the optimism that came out of the certainty that he could now attain utopia and the pessimism that arose out of the feeling that he was only an animal. And of this, we do find sufficient evidence. First, if we follow Bernard Hart's um, footnote, see the psychology of insanity, uh, Bernard Hart's classic estimate of madness as being such a magnificent, sorry, as such as being such a magnification, sorry, of the normal web of life that tolerable eccentricity becomes insane aberration and departure from the viable pattern. Then in 
Each epoch and age group, we should find a characteristic madness. The type of mental collapse should give us a clue to the total character that of that epoch and group. Of this, we have found evidence in 1. The trauma of birth of the newborn. 2. <clears throat> the dementia precox, ending in paranoia of the child, that is heavily charged with a noradrenaline that is not rightly channeled. And 3. The schizophrenia of the adolescent who is collapsing under a sense of guilt, longing for an overall authority, whose incessant total demand he feels he cannot meet. These forms of madness do appear in other age groups, but when they do it, it's because the person's emotional life has not advanced beyond the level where that specific insanity is endemic. His emotional age does not correspond with his biological age. Hence, when he breaks down, he produces the insanity that belongs to his emotional age. Thus, dementia precox is the disease of a child mind that is showing off. And schizophrenia is the illness of an adolescent mind that blames himself. Yet today, the main impact of these specific miseries appears in the age groups of the child and the adolescent. Similarly, we find that the fourth great mental disaster, the manic depressive madness, makes its principal invasion into the area of first maturity. As the late Lewis Cholden, C-H-O-L-D-E-N, remarked, the manic depressive form of insanity might well be regarded as being a temporary effort to escape from the schizoid state. As the sense of a universal law that can be neither denied nor fulfilled becomes intolerable. The psych hopes to avoid this agony by making its own self-consciousness so acute that it may become wholly independent of the law. The changeover of the ascetic movement into the humanic is the outward symptom of a man's consciousness striving. By further contraction, to escape the sense of guilt. But basically, this only aggravates the condition, for guilt itself is a symptom of growing self-consciousness. Just as before ascetic guilt, the primal self-consciousness of the hero was manifested in his sense of shame. Shame, guilt and scepticism are three successive symptoms of an intensifying sense of separation. <coughs> The age of humanic man, therefore, is a transitional and comparatively brief epoch. The total individual either regresses back to authority and expiation or goes on into that melancholy of second maturity that only the leptoid state can eliminate. The problem of assigning actual years to these age groups is a difficult one, at least in all but the two earliest. We can say that most individuals have completed their psychophysical birth by the time they have reached the age of two and a half years. By then, their emotional life has taken on its contours. 
and although a severe neurosis may still be inflicted, a good start during the first 30 months probably means that the danger of a psychosis springing from traumatic pre-self-conscious experiences is past. We, we can say to that specific age of childhood between infancy and adolescent, adolescence ranges from the age of two and a half or three years up, up to ten or eleven. But adolescence is far harder to fix in terms of specific years. As we have seen, Gesell has provided a map of adolescence that follows the modern accepted span of 10 to 17. However, in our rapidly growing neotenic extension of consciousness, this may omit those who, though they are not average, are most specifically representative of our present age group distribution. Undoubtedly, a number of individuals remain arrested at adolescence, and indeed many at childhood level. But though many may still be growing emotionally, the rate of growth may be slower than at any other times. For example, it has lately been discovered that many men who have been given life sentences for murder can safely be released after the age of 40. They had been homicidal because the noradrenaline of infancy, the hormone of aggression needed at that age, had lasted on into adolescence and early manhood. Some mistake in their early handling had prevented them from adequately using the noradrenaline for the effort to live, grow and expand, and then this purpose achieved <coughs> from being able to develop the adrenaline necessary for social growth. But not footnote B. A useful analogy here is the elimination of the thymus as the, as the child's growth proceeds. The thymus, T-H-Y-M-U-S, is the gland in the chest that ceases to function as adolescence approaches. Research into the thymus in, the first, in these first years of the 60s has indicated However, that although as a growth-activating gland, it is in manifest activity up to the age of 8 or 10 years, after which its growth slows until by 14 it starts to wither and disappear. It has, it has an overuse in keeping up the body's immunity. This finds, finds suggests that there may be some truth in the yoga statement that dilational thoracic, thoracic, T-H-O-R-A-C-I-C, breathing with the expansion of rib cage and sternum, for the thymus lies just behind the sternum, does reactive, uh, does reactivate, sorry, the thymus and add to the health of the practicer. However, after having continued to function, but atavistically, that is, murderously, the noradrenaline did at last diminish. When, at length, the social level of adolescence and first maturity was reached, the individual was under the endocrine control of pure adrenaline, and at 50, the person had the contrite amenability 
of the adolescent and the required responsibility of the mature. Further, this whole problem of age grouping and assigning year spans to each group is made far more complex by the fact that there is much real retardation among present day groups. Not only are there many individuals who are laggards, gravely retarded, but the whole issue of neoteny makes it doubly difficult to say whether an individual's delay in becoming mature is due to the morbid arrest, such as the above example of a person's emotional life still being in acute noradrenaline conflict, or to the pedomorphic retention of an early uncommitted openness and flexibility that may appear to be irresponsibility. Under the Kentish, Kentish, as in Kent, Kentish Saxon law of gravel kind, a male was considered to be mature at 15. The Australian Aborigine is said to attain maturity at 12, and an ape is mature at 3. We must expect our present day youth to take, uh, we must, sorry, we must expect our present day youth to take longer and longer to grow up. If, as J.B.H. Haldane, H-A-L-D-A-N-E, has said, urged on by the neotenic drive man is heading for a growth retentiveness that will permit him to postpone committing and uniting his thought to speech until he is five. And that will allow him to learn until he is 40. Then human beings will still be adolescent at 30 when, at present, the most half our life expectancy is over. It may not, then, be inaccurate to advance the year span of the three year later age groups of adolescents. First maturity and second maturity. And so fine as some modern authorities believe that, that from the 20s even on to 40, there may now be an instance of schizophrenia. That is, the retention of an adolescent ascetic, self-blaming frame of mind. And the succeeding phase of first maturity, the humanic stage, may not come into action until between 40 and 60. Uh, certainly, there are psychiatric authorities who hold that the specific manic depressive state, state of, ma of mind is mainly endemic in the score of years of the fifth and sixth decades. The ordeal of first maturity, as it is recapitulating the humanic phase, would then consist of two stress factors. In the first place, as we have seen, it will be subject to the conflict between the relief of independence and the distress of isolation. The man is now responsible. He may and must make choices. As an adolescent, he might and often did break down into schizophrenia because he was faced with one all-embracing, all-exacting law that he must acknowledge and revere but could not obey. The very humility that made him accept it made him confess his inadequacy to fulfil it. As a completely self-conscious individual, his breakdown risk lay in the opposite direction. 
He was now in danger because he now saw himself as a person who could seek no final authority to give him the true and complete law. But at the same time, he saw that he must, out of many findings, numerous opinions, manifold dogmas, and even conflicting hypotheses, decide for himself as to which were the better ones and as to how from these possible advices. He could best guide his own life. Such a state of mind is the seedbed soil of manic depressive insanity. And it is made more acute by this frame of mind having been accompanied by the complementary stress of critical education, which it has itself largely brought forth. The humanic phase, as we have seen, was the epoch which, in the West, its real home, produced the new learning. Tradition and reason itself, in its form of scholasticism, were put on trial. Tradition was demoted from its pure office of supreme judge. Reason was ordered to take on experimentation as its vicar or suff- suffragan. suffragan. S-U-F-F-R-A-G-A-N. Dogma and argument could stand only if supported by experiment. Therefore, not only does the individual who out of adolescence enters first maturity have to undergo the ordeal of finding himself in the position of having to reject the hope of one utterly trustworthy authority and of having to choose between experts, specialists, and a variety of devotedly closed minds. He has to face the even more distressing fact that his is no longer the simple will of the hero who knows that the past was futile and wrong and that the present is here for the strong will to take. He realises that certainty may never be possible for anyone least of all for himself. Skepticism offers the only possibility of knowledge, and skepticism will not work unless it leaves the skeptic free to find that, if the facts show that no answer is obtainable, nothing can be done. The first maturity of the fully self-conscious individual, therefore, is very different from the assured defiances of the proto-conscious heroic individual the noradrenaline child. He realises that he must reject authority. Moreover, he sees that even he himself is not adequate to be an unbiased authority for his own conduct, since he has neither sufficient information about the outer conditions, nor sufficient understanding of and control over his own inner state. Nevertheless, he knows that by experiment he must and can do much to produce powerful, predictable and profitable results in the outer world, among and with his fellows and on and in his own physique. Conscious, experimental education therefore becomes his concern. It is this aspect of the humanic first maturity its growing belief in experimentally established instruction, 
that ushers in man's next phase, crisis and ordeal. For the isolationism of complete self-consciousness, which produces his scepticism of first maturity, leads such a type of mind to jettison every belief and practice that cannot quickly and obviously be shown to be experimentally accurate. It even leads to the rejection, without experiment, of every practice for which a mistaken explanation has been given. For example, the efficacy of prayer or the anomaly of extrasensory perception. Hence, man disregards his pressure conscious and refuses to give attention to any data that are anomalous within his confined category or sensory judgment. This naturally produces an increase of repression, misgiving and fear. Thus, those threshold pressures are generated in the psyche that make the total individual, the man of first maturity, aware that he is something more and other than an individual. Still further, as we have seen and will note again later on, as the process of evolution works through the extension of paedomorphism, the man who is coming into first maturity will naturally, but inexplicably be to those who do not grasp the neotenic process of evolution, dislike being called on to accept maintenance responsibility. As was mentioned earlier, JBS Haldane, as well as N.J. Beryl, therein, has pointed out that even now biologists can foresee the time when men will not become adult until they are 30 or 35. It is not an escapism that makes the young adult object to being called up to administer codes that he questions and that also cause the young scholar to doubt the current belief in the increase of means as being a criterion of progress. Intuitively, he feels, through the evolutionary urge within him, that he must have more time, room and freedom to grow. That man's future lies in an upward growth of quality of consciousness, and not in a crude, extrapolating, horizontal advance in gear and economics. For first maturity, the four-stage individual represents, tallies with, and is the parallel of the fourth stage of the human social hereditary. Today, however, we are in the fifth stage, the leptoid age of the post-individual. Although that stage has not yet been recognised, still less has been achieved a pattern of prestige. Still less has it achieved a pattern of prestige. And so, as our society still regards itself as being humanic, Individuals in first maturity are still regarded as being the age group of executive authority, the focal range of power. Therefore, our society, precisely because it is itself predominantly manic depressive in its outlook, uh, footnote C, as Ruth Benedict uh, indicates in her Patterns of Culture. Well, um, so yeah, therefore our society, precisely because it is itself predominantly manic depressive in its outlook, welcomes the manic depressive man. 
Hence, the overly energetic young man of today can escape into action. He can project his conflict on, on others in that confusion of misunderstandings and thinly disguised ill will called politics, and in espousing that patriotism which, because of its element of paranoid heroism, Dr. Johnson, in a moment of understandable exasperation, called the last refuge of a scoundrel. Although the reckoning with reality is thus postponed, with the aid of frequent transferences of mental conflict into such psychosomatic diseases as ulcers and coronary seizures, nevertheless the individual does meet in second maturity the disregarded sphinx returning with accumulated vengeance. Got footnote D here. Research in 1962 into the average life expectancy of the high executives in the advertising business showed that it stands at 61 years. Well, is that it? Not only this, but he finds that society itself now becoming increasingly either leptoid or melancholy. With corrosive satire debunked, debunks the impudent opportunist and seeks for his superseder, the truly mature and contemporary person. It is clear that the evolutionary process of our consciousness called for a new step in education. As each of us individually passes through first maturity, we need to learn from the experience of humanic man, from the stress he had to endure in becoming a total individual. It was a two-sided stress and projected itself, alternatively, as a challenging scepticism of the tradition. The tradition that the ascetic had tried to resuscitate and make into the all-comprehensive, infallible authority of veto and repression. And then, as a challenging scepticism of himself. The education that begins as being critical and analytic at last arrives at the self, at which point integral constructions, creative methods are required, not the reductional techniques of scepticism. And this involves a re-examination of the tradition. At this time, too, when the re-examination has become requisite, we discover that tradition has already been found to be, in origins and at base, not repressive and ascetic, but expressive of the total mind-body consciousness plus the individual group consciousness as a psychosomatic whole, that is, the life religion. Originally, the tradition was the extreme growing edge of evolution. Its most highly accelerated part, mind and body, were being developed together by neoteny, by, biologically speaking, a rapid extension of infancy and next, the even more rapid intercalation yeah, intercalation and extension of the specifically human phase of childhood, pedomorphy. The fourth ordeal in the individual's life process, the ordeal of first maturity, is then the first life phase wherein specific critical teaching becomes part of the test whereby the individual is driven to make three specific growth discoveries about himself. Number one, he has to reject all the tradition 
that does not conform with his experience and experimentation. Number two, feeling himself to be an individual who is purely physical. He confines his critical faculty of evaluation only to data that come to him through the five senses. Number three, this confinement isolation in turn leads to a scepticism of his physiological instrument as being an adequate apparatus for apprehending the continuum and to an even greater scepticism of its ability to understand or to control itself. And so those in first maturity discover intuitively and by the negative process that the concept of total individualism is a misapprehension. The critical analytic method of education must be supplemented. For under this ordeal of growth, some try to retract and return, to get rid of their total individualism by retreating to the ascetic totalitarian authoritarianism, whether it be of a church or a commissary, ecclesiastic, communistic or fascistic. To some degree, today, this must mean a schizoid state. Many become manic depressive, while others, avoiding withdrawal, nevertheless hang on with no keen pleasure in the present or hope of the future. So they are transferred by the inevitability of the biological process into second maturity. Physically, they are carried on, but being psychologically uneducated and unequipped to cooperate with the process, they are bewildered and it is compulsive. As old age comes on, what should be second maturity is in danger of becoming involutional melancholy. The fear of death becomes the basic phobia, unbalanced by, by any compensatory desire, let alone significance. The life declines from being even the pretense of a reaction into a rout, R-O-U-T. Every observer now realises that without an adult education of the emotions, first maturity only sows the seeds of a harvest of futility, which in second maturity must be reaped as a suicidal despair. For the increase in the instance of suicide follows the increase of age. And that is the ordeal of first maturity. That was short, wasn't it? Okay, we'll stop there. And I may do uh, the last chapter uh, today, tonight. So stay tuned, my friends. <laughs>